One of the best ways that brands can build trust is by engaging in the spirit of vulnerability. When your organization is more transparent, when when you're able to kind of bring people into the conversation and, and really let your ideas evolve in public, it demonstrates that your organization is growing and learning and evolving in part through the input of your community. And consumers love that. It's great to be able to have a voice in, in how things are evolving oftentimes to better better serve consumers. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Retail Remix. You may know me by now. I'm Alicia Esposito, and I have joining me today Margot Bloomstein, Principal of Appropriate Inc., overall content strategist, marketing strategist, and now author of the new book, Trustworthy, How the Smartest Brands Beat Cynicism and Bridge the Trust Gap. Margot, congratulations, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. So obviously, we are very connected just based on our profession alone. We are both content people. So I'm thrilled to have you on and kind of talk shop, talk all the trends and best practices that that you you've seen in recent months, even weeks, I feel like things are changing so fast. Um, But let's start high level because your day-to-day is really based on helping companies create brand appropriate user experiences, develop content that doesn't just engage, but converts, drives an impact. So I want to ask you about the book because you're doing all this work day to day. You interface with a lot of different companies, but you also need to study what's happening in the world around us, right? So why was a book like Trustworthy needed today? Well, I think as we look around our society and our industry, and certainly how as as retailers and as people that are consumers to how we fit into our society, a lot of things were changing. And I first noticed issues around trust and cynicism and how they were slowing down sales cycles. I first started noticing that a few years ago, kind of more in a in a political and media environment. And I wondered, because my audience, my clients are primarily in retail, I wondered how much that would affect us, how much that would affect my work and, and my engagements. And as I dug in further, I realized, yeah, it was going to affect things a lot. And that was several years ago. And then in researching and writing Trustworthy, it seemed like the problems became more and more pressing in in more and more of my client engagements, where if they were losing trust with a target audience, if their audience was expecting more transparency, more accountability, or just a, a more human way to engage, we weren't always hitting that appropriately. So I wanted to see what was going on, what we could do about it. If people were losing trust in brands that they used to know and love, what we could do about it as as retailers, as people that make content and make great user experiences, what we could do to better meet the needs of our audiences and better engage as brands. And that resulted in Trustworthy. Yeah, I love the whole underlying mission from it. I think there is a great need for it because it's interesting because on one hand, the internet and all of these web-based tools and resources, they have all, I guess you could even argue online retailers, right? We've kind of democratized information, have made products more accessible, have made it 
easier and cheaper to get these products. But then at the same time, we're feeling this trust tension, right? So, I mean, I think of myself even looking at media as an example, right? There are so many sources, there's so much information that you can't help but wonder, okay, well, which one is the source or which one should I trust? And I do want to ask you, I mean, you can look at this as someone who has been researching this or, or looking at it as a person, right? I mean, do you think this democratization, although it was so beneficial, so powerful, has kind of set us up for where we are today with this lack of trust that's happening right now? I think we've got a few things that are going on there. First, we can look kind of outside of our industry and see how, as you said, we've democratized access to information, or at least we've democratized access to content as well as the means of producing content which means we're not always getting high quality information from high quality sources. And we can see how over the past 10 years with the rise of social media, people have also turned away from traditional sources of expertise. And when I think of sources of expertise, people with authority, I put marketers in that category because if you work in the marketing department of a company, you probably know your products and services better than anyone else. Maybe probably better than the analysts that are covering your space, too. And if you're sitting down the hall from the engineering team or the product development team, you know how to tell that story of what's coming next, what the new features are, better than anyone. And that's really a source of expertise and authority. But people have turned away from those traditional sources of expertise. Maybe the, the newscaster, the news team that you grew up hearing, that, that sort of thing. And instead, we've turned to our filter bubbles, maybe Yelp to review or guide us on restaurant reviews, or, or we're getting news from maybe friends in our feed that are sharing those news stories. And that worked well until we started to become more aware of kind of popping those filter bubbles, realizing that a lot of algorithms are driving our recommendations, not just the perspectives of people just like us. And I think as people have become more aware of those filter bubbles, they've sort of turned inward. They've come to adopt this kind of cool cynicism of you can't trust anybody. Everybody's out to make a buck. And with that mindset, when they turn inward and say, well, I'll just do my own research. I'll just go with my gut instincts. What feels right probably is what is right. That isn't always correct. And there's a real opportunity, I think, for, for marketers, for businesses, for brands to say, wait a second, let's make sure that you are getting good, high quality information when you're doing your own research. Let's provide you with tools so that you can measure the, the accuracy of that information. It's fine to get information from multiple sources, but let's make sure they're good and that also you're armed with the tools to evaluate them. And I think that act of empowering audiences, empowering consumers, maybe reframing the conversation around the entire product category, Organizations that can do that, they earn the trust, they earn the confidence of their consumers as well. That's a huge opportunity and it's also an enormous responsibility. Yeah, a lot of really good stuff there because I feel like authenticity has been such a big topic in retailing consumer brands as of late. And I feel like there are many layers to that. I think it's the mission of the brand? Are there values that align with the consumer base? Is it a brand that I deem friendly or I feel like I can connect to it? I guess that kind of ties into trustworthiness a little bit. 
But then you brought up the point around expertise. There's trust in that as well. And I do want to ask a follow-up question there. I mean, you do a lot of work with B2C brands. Like, what's the appropriate way to strike this balance? Because I like the idea of using your people to show expertise or guide the decision-making process to build that credibility. But how do you balance that with the... I guess more social media driven trends around like user generated content and influencers, because I feel like that's almost a slippery slope sometimes when you're putting the brand in other people's hands. So I I guess, how do you kind of determine, you know, how do we maintain some level of control, but not too much control and then give other people power to promote on behalf of the brand, but not too much power. I feel like I could imagine how it can get a little challenging in looking at and building that trust. Yeah, it's challenging and trusting our audiences, trusting influencers, trusting consumers with our content and investing in them, our wisdom is kind of the ultimate act of vulnerability and trust. And I think like within the context of social media, when we when we do kind of allow other people to support the conversation, to talk with knowledge about our products and services, I think there's a huge opportunity there because people do listen to, quote unquote, people just like them, sometimes more so than the organizations that are publishing that content. That's not necessarily a bad thing because I think it gives brands, it gives marketing departments the opportunity to seed those conversations with with good, high-quality information, to make sure that people that are talking with a degree of knowledge about your brand or about your products, to make sure that they do have current information about those products. I think there's also an opportunity to teach our consumers and to teach people that are talking about our products the, the things that are unique about them. And getting back to this idea of authority, That comes from an organization or an individual or a brand being able to say, I'm here, you're not. Let me tell you about it. Maybe because of the cost of gaining that knowledge or or maybe because it's dangerous or requires a degree of expertise or maybe just you can't have everybody in your audience walking through your factory floor. So instead, there are people that that are well-equipped to be there to kind of report on what they're seeing. Maybe it's around a new product rollout or, or new features that are kind of coming down the pike. I think when we can take that expertise and then distribute it in our audiences, it makes them smarter. It makes people that are interested in the products feel smarter. And when people feel smarter, they feel more confident as well. That's a wonderful opportunity for brands because when we give people tools to feel smarter, that can be like introducing them to the jargon of our industry, to helping people that that maybe require a, if our products require a certain level of technical savvy, that's okay. I'm a big proponent that we shouldn't be dumbing down content to make people feel more confident and and to help them make a purchasing decision. One of the examples that I share in Trustworthy is from uh, Crutchfield, the electronics company. So you might turn to Crutchfield if you're interested in buying a camera lens or some home audio equipment. If you go there and do your research, you might be coming at that product feeling like, I don't know a lot about digital single lens reflex cameras. I don't even know that that's a vocabulary I should know. So they give you lots of ways to get comfortable with that vocabulary, to compare on the site between different lens options, to to understand maybe how they work, what options are within your price point, so that, yes, you can get information from the brand, but then that's information you can also share 
when you're going into, say, online communities, chatting about it, talking with other people and saying, well, what lens did you get? What do you recommend? Maybe you've got a friend on Facebook that's really savvy about camera equipment too, or, or you're in a group there where you're kind of comparing ideas. Now you can join that conversation with a little bit more knowledge. You've gained the vocabulary. Jargon isn't necessarily a bad thing if we can unpack it for our audiences and help people feel more confident about how they use it so that they can feel smarter about their purchasing decisions. And I think getting to your question around what happens when that that knowledge is distributed and isn't necessarily coming from a brand, I think brands have a responsibility of joining those conversations, making sure that people are able to, to speak in a knowledgeable way and then letting them run with it. That's what folks have always done online and off. The best we can do is to make sure that people are smarter so that they can feel more confident about the decisions they make. Yeah, I really like that example because it really emphasizes the community aspect of the decision-making process, which, you know, has really skyrocketed. I really don't think it's going away, but it almost shows that there's an opportunity to build your own branded community and have a centralized place to have these conversations. And like you noted, connect the dots between this very abstract or complex topic or concept and really making it digestible and accessible for everyone. So I do want to ask you about formats. This is definitely going off our initial script because I think whether you're in fashion or beauty or technology, auto, content is is really important, right? It's how you tell the story. It's what allows that story to be disseminated or amplified across channels. So in this concept of creating and sharing truth and being deemed as trustworthy, I mean, what formats present a lot of opportunity right now for brands and retailers? I mean, I'm seeing so much around video because of TikTok, because it's so easy to digest and it's consumable. It's You can have some fun with it. But what else is really rising to the top for you in terms of ideal formats to spread this truth and build this trust? One of the best ways that brands can build trust is by engaging in the spirit of vulnerability. When your organization is more transparent, when when you're able to kind of bring people into the conversation and, and really let your ideas evolve in public, it demonstrates that your organization is growing and learning and evolving in part through the input of your community. And consumers love that. It's great to be able to have a voice in, in how things are evolving, oftentimes to better better serve consumers. And I think as far as different platforms, any platform or format that allows for that vulnerability, that allows for the easy kind of give and take of information, not just presentation of information, that's a great thing because it does help to bring your audience closer. You mentioned a little bit about like online communities and forums. I think that's a wonderful opportunity for brands to, to be able to get their knowledge out there and then see how people trade on it, how people comment on it and empower each other, enrich each other's knowledge. So for example, like in the beauty industry, Sephora is doing a wonderful job with this, with online community and, and bringing people into the conversation around products. When, when you can join their forum and see what other products people are recommending, see maybe how things play out for people 
with interests or needs similar to yours, that helps you make a more informed decision as a consumer and maybe get product recommendations that that aren't just coming from the company, but are coming from people just like you. So there's a degree of vulnerability there, but also that spirit of community that makes things feel maybe a little bit more realistic. And when a brand like Sephora engages in that kind of forum, it's an opportunity to, to bring in some of their own product knowledge, but then allow other people to run with it and comment on it. And they can learn from that too. So it really serves the organization in a number of ways. I think any way in which a company can can engage in real time like that is good. And it's really great when you can kind of host the conversation, when you can stand in that point of confidence and vulnerability to say, yes, there are additional perspectives on this topic. So let's hear them. Let's bring them together so that you, our audience, can be more informed. One of my favorite examples from that, and I write about this a little bit in Trustworthy, is what BuzzFeed does. So they've got a feature called Outside Your Bubble, where at the end of many of the articles, they'll have a box that says, all right, here's how other places are talking about this same topic. And they'll curate links there from maybe what's going on on Twitter or how people on Reddit are discussing it. And in bringing in those different perspectives, they're essentially saying, we are not the the be all and end all on this topic. And we know that you have a choice to get your news from multiple places. Let's bring some of those places here so that we're curating the conversation we can say that, yes, we've vetted these sources and some of what's going on there, but we want to make sure that you're hearing from them as well. So they're not demanding kind of just blind faith. They're not saying we're your only resource for this, we're your only perspective that you should trust, but rather saying we want to enrich your perspective with many voices, many ideas, so that you can be more informed as a consumer of information and more empowered to make your own decisions. There are a number of retailers that do that as well. When they're maybe curating product reviews from kind of outside of the brand, when they're bringing in comments from analysts or from professional reviewers or influencers, and having those different voices adds to the conversation. Of course, there's a degree of vulnerability there. You're saying, don't just trust what we have to say. Listen to what other people are saying, too. But I think it's that vulnerability that helps to bring your audience closer. It empowers them with more information so that they can make more confident decisions as well. Yeah, I definitely think there's something to be said about letting go of control of the narrative. Because I know even with influencer marketing, I mean, that's supposed to be the ultimate form of creating authenticity and personifying the brand in a relevant way, but it's like outside of the boundaries. But still you're seeing brands, you know, creating these scripts and saying to influencers, no, you only do X, Y, Z, you only say ABC, and that's still controlling the narrative, right? So I think letting go of that is so important for conveying that open communication, that dialogue and in a way that that collaboration, that collaboration of ideas is so important, but letting go of that control can sometimes be very <laughs> difficult, not just at the brand level, right? It's, it's a cultural thing, but also at the individual level, like say you're part of a marketing team and you want to let go of that control, but there are other forces saying, no, don't do that. So, I mean, what do you have to say about how brands can kind of have more productive conversations internally? Like that has to be that has to be done, right, in order to reach that level of vulnerability that you were talking about? Right. And 
Vulnerability is the risk that we take on for connection. Vulnerability is the cost of authenticity and transparency. So if your brand is talking about being more authentic, being more transparent, well, we have to ask, what is at the heart of authenticity? When people look at you in that spirit of transparency, what are they going to see? And some of that requires cleaning up your own organizational culture. If you want to lead with your values, make your values more visible, the cost of that is that people will scrutinize you based on your values. And that can be a wonderful thing because that's what helps people find organizations whose values align with theirs. That's what allows organizations to, at times, expand their target audience, not because people want to buy your products, but because they say, oh, that's a company whose values align with mine. I'm going to shop there not for myself, but for other people in my life. One of the examples that I share is from um, Penzi's Spices, big spice retailer. They've done an amazing job of leading with their values. They believe that cooking is an act of love. They sell spices. And at times, their CEO has taken to social media to talk about his political viewpoints, to support causes around immigration. And Sometimes they've lost consumers because of that. They certainly garnered a lot of headlines because of that. But the net result is that they've expanded their target audience. Every time he takes to Facebook with a political post, they see how their sales jump. They're up 50% year over year. And that's because they lead with their values. And for anybody that said, hey, spice company, stay in your lane, they've been very open in saying that, no, cooking is it's a political act. So many of our family favorites are recipes that come from elsewhere in the world and came here on the backs of immigrants. So this is our lane. And in doing that, they're leading with their values, but it does require a degree of vulnerability. And I think that when we see how businesses can engage in that way, it serves as a beacon for other organizations as well. Yeah, I love that. So we talked a little bit about values. We talked a little bit about products. I mean, what else really plays into the current climate of generating trust and keeping it, right? I mean, I feel like brand loyalty, it's fleeting, right? It's always been a challenging thing for retailers and brands to acquire, but also keep. So, I mean, what factors also come into play here that could possibly play into content, marketing, messaging, I guess all form of interaction with consumers, right? I feel like there there are so many ways to engage, but what else goes into that machine, so to speak? Well, I think at the core of building and maintaining customer loyalty is confidence. I think people need to feel confident in themselves and their own knowledge that, yes, this is an organization I want to support or I want to continue shopping here. I feel good about shopping here. I feel safe about shopping here. I think at the heart of that confidence, though, is success. And one of the organizations that I describe in Trustworthy is America's Test Kitchen. So, Big publishing platform. They publish Cooks Illustrated, Cooks Country. They print and sell dozens of cookbooks every year. They've got their online cooking school. Lots of different platforms there. And at the heart of all of their publishing is meeting their different audiences where they are with the degree of, of expertise in the kitchen that they have and always supporting them with this idea that success breeds confidence. When people feel successful in, in making a dinner or cooking for the first time, or if they're a more savvy, experienced chef in kind of creating whatever fabulous concoction they want to make, when they feel successful, 
They feel more confident in themselves and in the brand that helped them to achieve that success. And that's what drives continued loyalty in that brand. That's what drives continued loyalty in so many other brands. Even if we think in like the apparel sector, when you know that you can always shop at a store, maybe now online, get the product on time, the product will look like how it was described online. And you know, when you put it on, you feel like a million bucks. That is a sense of confidence from end to end through the entire customer journey and shopping experience. And that's tremendous when we can offer that sense of confidence, when people can literally and figuratively buy confidence. That's what drives loyalty. I want to go back to something else that you were asking about, though, around control, too, because so much around confidence kind of is in this dance around control. Do we have it? Do we give it? Are we so confident? in our brands, in our offerings, that we can cede some control to our audiences. And I think that idea of control can be a problem in a lot of organizations, in a lot of marketing departments. And it can be in everything from from kind of how we socialize content, if we're willing to let people talk about our products without necessarily jumping into the fray immediately, and even just how we let people that represent our organizations that maybe are tweeting or posting or whatever from the marketing department, how they represent our organizations and how immediately they can engage. And I think so much of that idea of control goes back to very tactical levels of governance in our organizations. When when you can work closely with the legal team to set up parameters for social media, for, for guidance in different ways to represent the brand, when you can work closely to establish editorial style guidelines, know that you've got the backing of your legal team throughout that process, that's what gives people the sort of guardrails to quickly and efficiently represent your brand to different audiences and across different platforms without having to kind of wade through a review cycle so that they know that they can do it with a degree of confidence as well. And I think that's what empowers content creators to have more empowering experiences to create more empowering engagements for our end users and customers as well. Great point. So we're getting into the core framework, I think, of your book, Trustworthy. So the three V's, which I love, I love good alliteration. So there's vulnerability, which we talked about a little bit already, voice and volume. So is that kind of where we're getting into those editorial guidelines, um, giving our team more control to create content with that consistency? Is that How does that kind of all shake out through the lens of a typical brand or retailer today? Sure. Well, I think, so the framework that I describe in the book, voice, volume, and vulnerability. Voice refers to the familiar and consistent way that a brand engages visually and verbally through through your look and feel and illustration style and density of information on the page, as well as things like editorial style and tone and content types. And as I describe, I think when we can create an appropriate set of guidelines, that's what frees our content creators to engage appropriately with the different audiences that they have to support. Everyone from folks in customer service to the social media team to maybe people that are outside contractors, outside freelancers that are working to support maybe print collateral or different experiences on the main website. And by documenting sort of the parameters of our brands, then they're able to engage in a more 
authentic way that is not necessarily monolithic, but rather describes how a brand can evolve and differentiate its different offerings over time. I think it's really important, too, to document that so that our audiences know what to expect, too. When I've spoken with different companies that right now are thinking, all right, now is maybe the perfect time for a big overhaul, a big refresh, my advice to them is no, don't. When so many people in your target audience are going through a time of big social upheaval with with all the different challenges around the pandemic, if your organization can demonstrate consistency, can be a source of comfort because people know what to expect, you're giving them a service. You're saying, no, you don't need to learn a new interface, a new taxonomy. We're going to keep things where you've always expected to find them. I think that's a that's a tremendous thing that you can offer your audience. But by documenting your brand, kind of giving it those guardrails, it allows the people that represent your company as well to differentiate it appropriately, to allow things to subtly evolve to serve your different audiences and maybe the different products and services that you offer too. In the second section of the book in volume, I talk about Well, how much do you need to say so that people can feel confident, so they feel like they can make good decisions when they engage in your brand and also feel good about the decisions they make? And I look at the volume of content from the perspective of how long should your blog posts be? Do you need to have long paragraphs of product copy or bulleted lists? But then also visually, do you need really detailed diagrams describing what you offer or really extensive photo galleries with a million images to flip through? Or is a single comprehensive image enough to tell that story so that people can make a good decision? So we get into it from that perspective as well. And then in the third section, I talk about vulnerability and how a brand can engage with authenticity and transparency, whether you are trying to make your values more visible or maybe kind of repair and stumble back after a defeat or a big mistake, what you can do if you need to to kind of own different behavior and demonstrate accountability for your audience. I think there's an aspect there too of how we how we can control those experiences and how we give control to our audiences so they can feel more confident in those experiences too. So is it fair to say that these three Vs fuel and support each other? Like one needs the other to be effective or impactful for organizations? Or is it possible for the folks listening right now to maybe prioritize one over the other and then kind of build upon that framework? Just trying to determine if folks are listening right now and saying, okay, yes, this all makes sense. I want to take action. Where should they start or how can they best tailor their path to achieving these? I would say they all work together, but start with voice. If you can document what it means for your brand to look and sound like your brand, that will enable everyone on your team to communicate in a more cohesive and consistent way. And your audience will thank you for that. Or they probably won't thank you because people only notice when things are weird and disconnected, but they'll still appreciate it. <laughs> right. People like to be loud when there's a problem. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. Nobody's tweeting saying like, wow, I just love that that experience worked exactly as I hoped it would. <laughs> 
But I would say for many organizations, certainly as they maybe wade more into different social issues or try to take a stance on some of the big issues that are troubling their audiences, the big issues that that we're all facing right now as our society continues to evolve, I think it's appropriate for many brands to, to kind of wade in and take a stance, whether it's on Me Too or Black Lives Matter or something else that they feel is important to their audience and maybe important to their organization. It's not a bad thing to make your values visible, especially when you can serve as a beacon to other organizations too. Business can act as a force for good. But that said, that's a vulnerable place for many organizations. You can gain a lot of of goodwill and a lot of trust in making your values visible. You may also realize that so many of those issues that you want to support are issues that you have to address within your own company. So I found many organizations are kind of digging deep into that section on vulnerability now to talk about, well, how do we do this? How do we continue to evolve in a way that is authentic and and kind of prototype in public, make our growth visible to our audience because we're all learning and growing right now. Why should our company be any different? Yeah, I think that point around being open that we're doing the work, we're focusing on this, but also kind of leaning into the stumbles a little bit, if that makes sense, because I think ultimately if something's important to the greater good, if it's a significant issue that is top of mind for your audience, there are likely going to be stumbles. You may not do something 100% successfully or effectively, or you may have a flawed execution. I think a big part of it is owning it and saying, we understand we we goofed, (laughs) but here's what we plan to do. And I think that kind of ties into your point around vulnerability rather than being scared to move forward lean into it and use it as a learning experience, not just for your business, but to your point, to to others as, as well. I mean, I think it's a big time of learning for a lot of people. This is great. And I do want to point out one point that you made in the book that, that really resonated with me is this isn't something that's just for one distinct team. This isn't just for the marketing team and then everyone else can kind of do everything, you know, status quo. I mean, you pointed it out, marketers, content creators, even designers that all play a role in ensuring that things are established and things are maintained. Obviously in retail, silos are a big problem. Still, even though we talk a lot about omni-channel, seamless customer experiences, everyone likes to dictate responsibilities based on their area of the business, their, their line of business, whether they're digital, store, design, content. What recommendations do you have for folks that are looking for that more holistic way of working, that more holistic view of the brand, but maybe dealing with some of these disparate siloed issues. Right, because I think if if your organization has a very siloed culture, maybe this is how you can bring them together. Silos are great for grain and nuclear missiles, and most uh, I think most of the people listening to this don't deal with either of those things. So If we can break down some of those silos, let's do it around this idea that business can be a force for good. And previously, things like corporate social responsibility, they might have been the responsibility of a corporate social responsibility department. And that's great. But I think when we say that issues of trust are 
everybody's problem. These are things that, that undermine design. These are things that undermine product copywriting and marketing copywriting, and certainly the bigger issues of marketing as well, the broader issues beyond interaction design. This is everybody's problem, and I think we need to have everyone as part of the solution because, yes, I think designers can make different decisions when they're allowed and encouraged to put trust as one of the main goals driving those decisions. Maybe it's around things like how they're using color to communicate or maintain different elements of the brand over time. Maybe it's around how they're bringing in different content types and working in concert with content strategists and content marketers to bring different themes out in the content. So many of the examples that I share are not just the province of marketing, but really are how marketing and design and content and interaction design, in some points, information architecture, user experience design, how all of those things come together to create a cohesive experience. Because that's how your audience experiences your brand. They're not just saying like, oh, did you check out the copy on that site? But rather they're engaging with your brand as a cohesive experience. And if we can all be united around saying that trust is important, we've seen how cynicism holds back sales cycles, is causing people to, to kind of look elsewhere for information and doubt the any kind of marketing content that we are publishing. This is a problem for our brand. This is a problem for every industry. This is a problem for our society. And as long as we're turning away from those institutions that we all used to trust, if people are turning inward, looking for sources of trust and for truth, brands can meet them there. I think businesses can meet them there and enable them to be more confident, empowered consumers. And that's confidence then that they can bring into every other experience. And I think we can be that force for good. And I think it needs to start with everyone that contributes in those organizations. So true. And I do have to be the one to bring up challenges or red flags, concerns, because I know we've seen our fair share of headlines of companies that have tried to make a stance or prove authenticity and have been called out for it, either due to a mismatch in you know statement versus execution of values, or they're saying X, but they're doing Y. How do brands appropriately prepare for that? I mean, is this a case where you kind of have to do the work behind the scenes before you can fully go to market or I guess really just just trying to prepare for any potential naysayers or, or challengers to, to this really powerful and I agree very important approach right now. I think if your organization wants to kind of wade into the fray and speak up around different social issues, that's great. I think business can be a force for good and we can learn to use our voices to contribute to that good. But yeah, you're going to make mistakes along the way. Maybe you discover that a problem that you're looking to address externally is a problem very much in your organization around diversity and inclusion or equity or some other topic. I think that when we discover those problems, it doesn't mean that we didn't do our homework or have no business speaking out. I think it's an opportunity to say, we need to change that here too. So let's serve as a good example of change. I think anytime your organization is in that position of vulnerability where maybe you screwed up, you made a mistake because you were trying and you were learning, it's an opportunity to say, hey, this is what we realized is going on. Here's how we're going to address it. 
here's how we're going to address it. Here's how you can hold us accountable so that you can see our progress. And hey, while you're at it, don't just watch what we're doing. Give us feedback. Tell us how we're doing. Tell us what you would expect to see as well. Because I think when we open up those lines of communication, that's how businesses can evolve. And that's how we can also pull our audiences closer to bring them kind of as part of that evolution so that they can cheer us on and give us feedback along the way. One of the examples that I share is from TED. Obviously, big organization, lots of eyes on them. They publish a lot of wisdom about the world. And sometimes the talks that they publish, they realize haven't always kind of stood up to scrutiny, or maybe they get additional feedback about how a topic has continued to evolve and the science is no longer sound. When they realized that was happening with some of their talks, they kind of opened themselves up to more criticism. They pulled their critics closer and said, all right, what do you think we should do to kind of keep this, keep this talk, keep this series of talks, this topic still in context? Should we add additional feedback to it? Should we take it off the site? What's the appropriate way to handle this? They got feedback along the way so that they could maintain the integrity of their brand, earn greater trust from their critics and their audience, and show how the things that they offer their community, the, the sort of products and services of knowledge that they offer, are still valuable, still relevant, and still trustworthy. I think that that's an opportunity for, for any brand to emulate. Perfect full circle moment. We started with community. We're ending with community. I think it just really proves how important keeping a close eye and ear on your audience, having that dialogue for better or for worse and finding out ways to apply is so important, especially because this world is always on. These conversations are happening, whether you're a part of them or not. So before I let you go, Margot, this has been such an insightful conversation, but any closing tips, takeaways? I mean, we covered a lot, so I'm hoping folks are, are taking some notes right now, but any final calls to action that you really want to point out for, I guess, especially the marketers maybe that that may be the main point people that are applying this every day and really want to get started? I mean, any closing thoughts? I would say regardless of your industry. I mean, yeah, these are some problems around cynicism and trust that maybe started in the political arena and, and with media. But this affects every brand, every organization, every industry today. And I think regardless of your industry, regardless of even the size of your business, now is entirely the appropriate time for you to jump into the fray and look at how you can empower your audience, how you can empower them to feel more confident, to feel more successful so that they can make better decisions, gain trust in themselves, and then gain trust in your organization, because that's something that they can bring to all of their other experiences online and off. I think business can be a force for good and this is on all of us because cynics look at the world as it is and say it's worse. I think designers and marketers and advertisers and content creators, we look at the world as it is and say it can be better. So let's work so that it can be. What a closing soundbite. <laughs> Love it, Marco. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out to join me. Congratulations again on the book. I can't wait to dig into it. I think there are so many valuable lessons that, like you said, everyone can really apply right now. Really appreciate the time. Thank you. And of course, to everyone out there, thank you for joining us for this great conversation. If you have any follow-up questions or comments for Margo, we'd love to facilitate that follow-up. So please drop us a line on social media. We'd love to keep the conversation going. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.